grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and from the Holy Spirit. Amen. This is kind of an awkward time of year, isn't it? Where like uh, there are these dueling holidays. If you go to the grocery store, it's all about Thanksgiving. It looks like they are ready for a battle. They've got all the yams and the canned cranberries on the end caps. They are prepared for an onslaught of people who forgot the cream of celery soup on Thanksgiving Day. But then if you go to like Target or a department store, oh, it's all about Christmas, right? They just skip right over Thanksgiving. And so there's this like battling holiday. Like for me, my favorite radio station on, on satellite radio that's the, the 40s junction. It's all the old 40s jazz on like midnight, November 1st. Holiday traditions. Oh, I lost it. So we have these dueling holidays, but then it appears that some Lutheran theologian who set the lectionary said, nope, we're getting Easter today. Because the gospel reading was just straight up an Easter reading, which, okay, sure. I, I suppose there's something to... To that reminder, right, as we go into the Christmas season, we picture that nice serene scene of the manger and the silent night and the little baby in the hay, to remember that that little baby with the peaceful scene grows up and goes to Golgotha and endures all of that. And it's, it's all for, for us. It's for our sacrifice. And so we, it's good to kind of have that in mind. But I also, I look at our gospel reading and I realize that it's it's kind of fortuitous for us um, as we go into Thanksgiving, as we go and get family gathered together, that there's something within this gospel reading that we can really learn and apply to our lives, especially on Thursday. But before I go into that, let's go to God in prayer. Lord God, Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for today, for this chance that we get to come together and worship you. Lord, I pray I pray that you bless this time, and I pray that you bless this message. Lord, I thank you for giving me the opportunity to share your words, and I pray that they are your words. I pray that they come from you and that your truth is proclaimed. Lord, I trust in you. I submit myself to you, and I pray that all who hear this, that they'd be willing to do the same. Let your love, your law, and your gospel be known in this place. In your name we pray, amen. Now, as I said, I have lived all over the country, with hence why various pronunciations of pecan or pecan sneak in. But because I've lived all over the place, one of my favorite things is to find out the various Thanksgiving traditions. Because by and large, people kind of do the same stuff for, for other holidays. But Thanksgiving, like, it's dead set. This is what we do. Now, for me, growing up in Florida with a very southern family, rather than mashed potatoes and gravy, we had rice and gravy. That was always our thing. Um, we also, being in Florida, always had oyster casserole, uh, which I didn't care for. It was not good. Uh, they charged me with making it one year, and that was not a good idea. Uh, when you don't like the thing, don't make the thing, because you don't know if it tastes good. Um, but then, moving to California for college, I found that out there, one of their main side dishes is salad. Just straight-up salad. And it blew my mind. I didn't think that you could put greens on the table at Thanksgiving time, unless they were boiled with some pork fat in there, right? Like, it didn't make any sense to me. And then going to St. Louis, if any of you have been to St. Louis, they're all about deviled eggs and buffalo chicken dip and all that. I've, I've had some truly terrible pies from that area of the country. Um, <laughs> but then the, the weird tradition here in Texas isn't so much Thanksgiving, it's the Christmas enchiladas, or excuse me, the Christmas, um, what are the, tamales, thank you. Thank, I'm from Florida, the Christmas tamales. Though, 
H-E-B has some uh, cinnamon and cream cheese ones. Oh, delightful. Yeah, I know. That sounds weird. It makes it a little dessert. Give it a shot. Anyway, now maybe for you, maybe food isn't your thing. Okay, cool. Uh, maybe for you, Thanksgiving, there are other traditions like sitting and watching the football game or the parade, right? Or, or uh, it's just being with family, right? There are all these other traditions that kind of come with Thanksgiving. I just want to say, as an aside, speaking mostly to the men in the room, because this is what I've observed, don't be one of those guys that say, hey, all the cooking and stuff, that's for the women folk. I'm just going to sit here and they can serve me. Up, 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 up. That is not how it works, fellas. Get up and help. Whether you're cooking or you're taking out trash, or so, if you're eating, you're helping. That's the rule, okay? Do not be one of these lazy guys that says, I'm not helping. <laughs> Oh, I got booze on that one. All right. We'll see who, how that works out for you. Um, so with these holiday Thanksgiving traditions, there's an extra one that I didn't mention. And that is that, that frequently you'll see at your Thanksgiving table uh, petty squabbles. Yeah? Uh, that, that tension that sometimes exists. Maybe it's rivalry over who makes the best green bean casserole. Maybe it's some sort of family feud that's been going on longer than the Hatfield and the McCoys. Maybe it's something that happened just last year that you're still holding on to. See, the thing is, even though uh, we realize that we're family and friends coming together for this meal, we're all coming with these different lives and so oftentimes we bring baggage in. Let's face it, even though the traditional Thanksgiving meal is turkey, some of y'all bring beef to the table. Some of you are coming and you're saying, hey, uh, I have beef with you. I got issues with you, right? And so as I looked at our epistle reading, there was one word that stood out to me, and that is reconcile. Now, in the instance of the epistle reading, that's talking about reconciliation between man and God, right? of which Jesus is the only one who can do that. But I want to talk about reconciliation between people, between brothers and sisters and parents and kids and, and just each other, this concept of reconciliation. Because I, I reckon that, that some of you have some reconciling to do come Thursday. Now, the word reconciliation or the word reconcile comes from the Latin concilius, which means assembly, right? That's where we get the word council, by the way. It's assembly. And so to reconcile is to regather what has previously been together and has, for whatever reason, become asunder. So reconciliation is to bring back together. And this idea of reconciliation among each other makes sense because there are different levels of reconciliation. Maybe it's just someone that you've, you've kind of fallen out of, you haven't really talked to for a while. There's nothing major between you. You just haven't talked. You need to catch up. There's a reconciliation that can occur. But perhaps it's something much, much bigger, some generational, your parents didn't get along and their, our kids don't get along, whatever it is. And so reconciliation probably needs to be at the table on Thursday. Now, as we look at our gospel reading, this Easter reading, uh, it's interesting because there are two things that happen three times. The first set of three is that Jesus is mocked three times, right? He's mocked by the religious leaders He's mocked by the soldiers, and then he's mocked by one of the other criminals on the cross. It's interesting because if you look at the way those mockings, that mockery happens, it actually mirrors the three temptations that Jesus encountered from Satan at the very beginning of his ministry. 
But that's another sermon for another time. I want to focus on the second set of three things. And that is three times, thrice, Jesus shows what I classify rebellious compassion. And I use those words intentionally because what Jesus is facing at this moment, he is basically in the process of being crucified. It starts, the story starts, our reading starts with him. Uh, Simon of Cyrene is already carrying the cross for him. He's already on his way to Golgotha. And then in the midst of our reading, he is crucified and ends up on the cross surrounded by common criminals. And three times he shows forgiveness and grace and compassion where it really doesn't fit. It doesn't make sense to do it in that time. The first is he sees all the weeping people around him and he says, no, weep not for me, weep for you. More on that later. The second time, and perhaps one of the most well-known times of Jesus' love and compassion and forgiveness, he prays for the soldiers that just beat him and nailed him to a cross that were actively gambling away his clothes. He prays, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And then the last one is the criminal, the other criminal, says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he says, truly, I tell you today, you'll be with me in paradise. Now, I want to focus on these. I'm going to look at them in reverse chronological order, starting with that criminal on the cross. We don't know much about his background. Uh, we know that he is a criminal. We know that he is enough of a criminal that he was considered worthy of public execution by the government. And we know that he doesn't fight whether or not he is guilty. He recognizes his own guilt. We don't know what the crimes were. We don't know what his background is. We can probably assume it was pretty gnarly. And so as he's there and he hears this other criminal mocking Jesus, he knows enough about Jesus of Nazareth to say, no, no, this guy, this guy's innocent. And he knows enough about him to then say, when you come into your kingdom, remember me. So he knows there's some sort of divinity there because like, he's not coming into a kingdom in this world anytime soon because they're all three about to die, right? And so he says this, come in, when you come into your kingdom, remember me. And Jesus responds... With today, you'll be with me in paradise. How does he not respond? He doesn't say, well, buddy, let's talk about these sins you've committed in your life. He doesn't say, well, let's, let's look at this rap sheet. Let's evaluate right or wrong. Hey, I, I'm going to need you to pray a prayer of repentance first. No, what he says is, today, you will be with me in paradise. Because the statement that the criminal makes is kind of a statement of faith, I suppose you could say. But ultimately, there's a little bit of a bridge being formed there. And Jesus jumps on it with rebellious compassion. See, the rest of the world would say, no, 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 no. He's guilty. He's done his deeds. He deserves this punishment. He deserves eternal punishment even. He's not worthy of compassion. But Jesus rebelliously shows love. So let's take this to our Thanksgiving table. Maybe there's somebody in your family and the wider group that'll be there. Maybe it's just somebody in your life who has wronged you. Whether your friends or otherwise agree with you, you yourself feel that they have wronged you and that you are justified in pushing them out of your life. What does it look like to be rebelliously compassionate in that situation? It means reaching out to them. It means maybe you're not ready for the full olive branch of peace, but at least an olive leaf. Something to start to build a conversation, to build that, that reconciliation. Now, here's the thing. 
We still live in a broken world, and so you don't know how that's going to necessarily be received. But what if we showed the compassion to be the first person? Because reconciliation requires two people, so you're at least one of them. So begin that process of somebody who has wronged you justly that the world says, no, no, cut that person out of your life. No, see what can happen through God speaking through you. The second instance of that rebellious compassion in Jesus is, uh, is the, the soldiers. Their job is to kill him. And it's just their job, right? He would, Jesus would be completely justified in looking at them and saying, they're despicable. They're, they're actively killing people. This is what they do. They're auctioning off my clothes. They're stripping him of every last sense of dignity. But his prayer is, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Because for the soldiers, this is just another Friday. This is just what they do. They probably have three or four crucifixions on Saturday. Oh, how many we got today? And so for them, they don't know that what they are part of is the most important moment in the history of mankind. And so Jesus recognizes that and he says, praise for them. Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. He recognizes that they can't be held accountable for something they're unaware of, that they don't have within their heart. Let's take it to the table. What does it look like when you're sitting at a table with somebody that you don't necessarily agree with? You don't agree with some of the choices that they've made in their life. You don't agree with their, their lifestyle. You don't agree with who they are at times. I mean, God forbid you bring up politics. And you're saying, boy, I just want to show them how wrong they are. But that's not what Jesus did. Jesus prayed for them, offered them compassion. He prayed for their souls. Father, forgive them. What does it look like for us to show that same compassion to somebody? Saying, are we holding others to a standard that they don't know that's not part of their life? If you remember my sermon from a couple weeks ago, far too often when somebody falls off the edge of a boat, we're shouting, hey, you shouldn't have jumped. That was the wrong thing to do. No, first throw them a life preserver. Then you can talk about nautical safety. Then you can say, hey, jumping out of the boat's a bad idea. This isn't going to be good for you long run. But first and foremost, get them saved. So when you're sitting at a table with somebody that you disagree with, somebody who's living a lifestyle, somebody who's doing something that you think disagrees with the morality of God, make sure it's the morality of God and not just your own internal morality. Show compassion and love. Pray that God would open their eyes, not to right and wrong, but would open their eyes to the gospel would open their eyes to the reality that God knows them and loves them in spite of their sin. See, Jesus was able to look at those soldiers and not see people who were actively killing him. Instead, he looked at them and saw them as people, children of God, deserving of his love because of his love. So as you sit there on Thursday, find compassion. Worry less about right and wrong and worry more about love and hope. And then the last bit of rebellious compassion that Jesus shows. And this one, we don't talk about this often. We kind of skip over this section come Easter. 
He, Jesus is going along. He's got Simon of Cyrene helping him. He notices the people all around him are weeping for him. It's, a, it's an emotional scene. Of course they're weeping, right? Whether they know him or otherwise. And he turns to them and he says, weep not for me, but weep for yourselves. It's funny because in that instance, if ever there was somebody deserving of pity, deserving of somebody feeling bad for them, it's Jesus. I don't know about you, but like when I get sick, I want people to know that I'm sick. <laughs> everything hurts. All I'm looking for is a little sympathy and pity, right? Just like every man that's ever been, right? Guys, you know what I'm talking about. We all play it up a little bit. Oh, normally I'm so strong, but I look, I can't even lift my leg. Oh, we're just looking for a little pity. In that instance, Jesus was deserving of mercy. Jesus was deserving of those tears. And yet, what does he do? See, if in the first instance, he shows compassion to the criminal, and in the second instance, he shows compassion to the soldiers and the religious leaders and the people gathered around, in the third instance, he's showing compassion, well, A, to strangers, but B, to generations that aren't even there, because this is what he's talking about. He says, woe to you, because a time is coming where women will wish they didn't have kids, Things are going to get so bad in this world that you're going to wish that there wasn't another generation to suffer. That's what he's talking about here. You're going to wish that there wasn't another group of people to go through this frustrating and painful world. Some say this points to the fall of Jerusalem some 20, 30 years later, but I think it's much bigger than that. I think what Jesus is saying about the wet wood in the dry wood, right? He says that the, the wet wood is here now and, and look how bad things are. Imagine when that wood will be dry. What that means is when you cut down a tree, there's still moisture inside it. It takes time for that to, to dry out. He's saying, I'm here with you now and things are bad. Imagine as time goes on. Imagine some 2,000 years later, that wood is dried. People are going to doubt my existence. People are going to doubt in their faith. Life is going to be so difficult. He's praying for generations untold, generations that aren't even there yet. So what does this mean for Thursday? Recognize that this world is tough sometimes. This world is difficult to get through, and it doesn't matter what age you are. Unfortunately, it seems the older you get, the less empathy you hold on to because you look back over your life, you look back over the rough patches and say, I got through that. I was strong enough to endure that. Why can't they? Why are they so weak? Why are, why are young kids so weak these days? No, no, you don't understand the challenges that they're facing. They're different than the challenges you face, but they're not any worse or more, right? They are real. This world is difficult. Have pity, have mercy, have compassion on the lives of the people sitting around that table. Maybe you look at somebody and say, oh, she doesn't know how to raise her kids. Yeah, you try raising kids in an age with cell phones and Facebook and iPads and, and everything else. You look at a kid and say, oh, they're just going to school. Yeah, but imagine the pressure that comes with every guidance counselor telling you got to get your grades up by seventh grade or else you're not going to get into the college that you want to get into and you're not going to have the career you want to have. There is such pressure stacking up. Just as Jesus has compassion on generations that aren't even there yet, may we have compassion on the people in our lives. May we find within us the ability to have just a little bit of empathy 
to create some reconciliation, to bring people back together. See, that's the thing. Jesus is the best there ever was at this concept of reconciliation, both obviously eternally, because he, he died in our stead so that we can be reconciled with our God, but then even in this world, the people that the, the world said aren't lovable, the people that the religious leaders said, no, no, they're unclean, the people that the townsfolk said, no, they have leprosy, they stay on the out, those are the ones that Jesus showed love to, that he created this opportunity to come back together, to reassemble, to reconcile. God shows the same to us. We too have fallen short and we too need reconciliation with our God. We need reconciliation with people in our lives. Just imagine for even a moment if everybody who is here in church this morning, early service, now, online, whenever, if we all went to the various families and the various tables and we sought reconciliation, we sought to live out rebellious compassion, how many lives would be changed? How many relationships would be restored? How many families would be repaired? That's the challenge that we have this Thanksgiving, to give thanks to our God, to give thanks to the people around us, and to draw them back together, to reconcile. We are loved, and we have the opportunity to love. May we step up. May we follow that path of God. May we live according to his rebellious compassion. Amen. Amen.